Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My name is Gabe Phillips, if we have not met, and it's a huge privilege to be here this morning with you. Um, just want to give a testimony. Last week, we, we prayed for people who were trusting for jobs and were trusting for business. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers that. Yeah? And on the, 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 the incredible privilege of that, praying in the community and trusting God for those breakthroughs, on the Tuesday, I got a phone call from one of the couples who stood up in that moment. They'd been trusting for his wife to find a job for for several months now and uh, she had gone to interviews and she had just not heard anything back from them and afterwards we discussed they said every time you make a call for for people to stand up in faith for business or for a job we're going to keep standing and he said we've we've stood a few times but we're going to keep standing in faith that God's going to make a way we haven't heard anything but we're going to keep standing I just love that faith on Tuesday they phoned me saying you'll never believe it we heard back from one of those jobs she's got a job and uh I think it's incredible. And um, uh, at another stage, I'd love her to share the story of it a bit more. But I, I, for me, that's, this is what we do as community. This is not, we're not running a service where we come in, we sit, and then we go. We're running, a, we, we are a community of faith, a community of believers who are trusting God for the, for the impossible in our lives. So I want to say right now, in this moment, if you are still trusting God for breakthrough in work, or you're needing a business, you're needing some, some, somebody to offer you a job, and you're trusting God for that, I believe God gives us breakthrough and gives test me so that we can trust God for it for ourselves. So if that's you, I'd love you to stand, and I'd love to pray for you. If you're trusting God for breakthrough in work or in business, anyone, stand quickly. Come on, come on, let's do that. Thank you. And let's pray. Let's pray right now. As you stand, let's pray that God's going to do it. He's done it already for somebody last week. Let's trust again for now for, for you this week. Father, I thank you that you have already shown that you are strong, that you are, you are able to provide. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider, our source. And I thank you, Father God, as you have done it for that couple already. I pray, God, would you do it again and again and again in this room. I thank you, Father God, that we'd have phone calls this week of people saying, Dave, that somebody who, who lost my CV has found it, that somebody who said they wouldn't get back to me from an interview has, has got back to me, that, that businesses would get new clients out of nowhere. I thank you, Father God, that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. I thank you, Father God, that we're standing in faith, that these people who stand in faith is them saying, Jesus, I'm taking you at your word. I'm standing as a response in faith saying, Jesus, would you do the impossible in my situation? I thank you, Father God, would we tell testimony after testimony of how you opened your hand of provision for these people. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done. So very exciting, as you saw the video just before there, uh, where we're talking about our city church plants. This Wednesday, we are having our first worship night in the city, and you are all invited to come worship with us at uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church on the corner of Somerset Road in the city. Why don't you come worship with us? 7 p.m. this Wednesday, it's in this most incredible building. It's the third oldest building in Cape Town. It is beautiful. It is, uh, it's going to be spectacular. So we're going to fill that place out. We're going to have coffees on sale. We're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to worship that night in an incredible way. So why don't you come join us, invite friends. This is how we know how to plant churches, is that we want to go beforehand and worship Jesus and lift up the name of Jesus there and allow God to do what He can do. So come join us, even if that is a little bit of a stretch for you to go through the city. Uh, just come for it. It'll be an adventure. 
Because I want to tell that we say it again and again, but Life Changes Milton, we are planting a church. How amazing is that? We are planting a church. This is not some preacher. This is not some organization. This is us. The people who've got, who, while we're baptizing people, my daughter is screaming, da-da, da-da. It's like, this is a wild group of people where nothing goes as planned. But actually, we're people who've seen God and say, actually, we're not trying to be slick. We're not trying to have the best. We're not trying to put on the best show. We are people who are wanting to experience the life of God and introduce as many people as we can to Jesus. And that's what we're doing. So if you are new and looking into this thing called church, I want to say welcome. This is, this is who we are. And we're so excited with what God is doing with us. But on another note, we, last week we said we started a three-week little series out of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you are unfamiliar with it, the, the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. And I would encourage you this week to go and flick over to the fifth book of your Bible and just read chapter 1 again and again and again. Because we believe that God is speaking to us and he's calling us into a new season of faith. Uh, something where we want to wrestle. So last week, if you missed last week, we spoke about something called take the plunge faith. <coughs> In the context of Deuteronomy chapter 1, is we find that Moses has led the Israelite nation. They've set them free from Egypt, set them free from their captivity. And he's taken them out of slavery and he's taken them towards the promised land. But on this journey from slavery and freedom to the promised land, to inheritance and the fullness with what God has for them, it says that they moved from the place of Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which was an 11-day journey. So from freedom to the promised land was supposed to take 11 days. But because they were people that could not believe God for His promises and not actually walk into them, but could only see them from a distance, but not truly know them and believe them, an 11-day journey took them 40 years in the wilderness. And what we find in this amazing story is that we find a whole generation, a whole generation of people who knew the mighty, miraculous, working power of God, who set them free from Egypt and their oppressors, who showed His power in extraordinary ways, who fed them and sustained them in the wilderness, but the people who knew God's faithfulness could not trust Him for their future, so they lived on the edge of potential, on the edge of breakthrough, on the edge of inheritance, on the edge of the supernatural, but never entering it. A whole generation died and missed out on what God had for them. And as we read this and we read this, we, our hearts have been stirred saying, not, not for us. Not for us as life change. That's not going to be our story. We're not going to be a people who stand on the edge of our potential, on the edge of what God has got for us, but never walk into it. Maybe that you felt like that for a long time, where you felt like you're on the edge of something changing, an edge of something moving forward, but you, you haven't been able to walk into the fullness of that. I want to say that this is a transition season where you're going to be moving out of and into what God has got, out of the old and into the new. You see, we find in the story, Moses gets there, and, and it's a transition moment. In chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he, he encourages these Israelite people. He says to them, you've stayed at this mountaintop long enough. It's time to break camp, advance into the hill country of the Amorites, go into that land, and occupy it. And he encourages them to do this. And the story goes on, and we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit this morning. But the story goes on. So he called them, and they have this idea. They said, we see the promised land which is flowing with milk and honey, but why don't we send in 12 spies, one spy from each tribe, just to go in first and have a look and make sure that it's safe and that it's good and that it's pleasing to, to us. Yes, God's promised it to us, but actually let's send a delegation ahead of us just to make sure that it's where God is leading us. 
So Moses says, okay, so they send 12 uh, spies in. And the story, if you, it's a well-known Christian story, but if you're not, averse, if not well-versed with it, is that 10 of those spies come back and say, yes, the land is good. The land is flowing with milk and honey. The, the land is, the fruit is huge. There's just incredible bounty. It is just a spacious place. It is so amazing. But there are also giants in the land. And they said, they say this phrase, they said that we felt and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and to them as well. And 10 out of the 12 spies go and they see the good things that God has got, but then their eyes get distracted and they see the negative opposition that is also in the land. And for them, their hearts bow not in, in move in faith towards what God is calling to them, but bow to, in fear to the, the enemy's pull, the enemy's stronghold. And 10 spies who go in, they come back with a negative report that sows doubt into the whole community. And because of those 10 spies, the whole community then decide, we're not going to go in. The risk is too big. And only two men, Caleb and Joshua, come back and say, yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there is big opposition, but our God has promised it to us. And can I tell you, out of that whole generation, only two men from that generation went into the promised land, Caleb and Joshua. And I want to help us this morning with something. I want to transition from Deuteronomy 1. We're using Deuteronomy 1 as our backdrop. I want to take us to a New Testament passage in Mark chapter 10, and I want to introduce you us to a concept that I have coined, and it will be in one of my books one day. It's just a joke. You can buy them at the back. I'll be doing signings. Anyway, but it's a concept that I want to introduce us to, something called blind faith. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say to them, blind faith? Obviously, half of you thought that was just, a, just something that you didn't have to do. Why don't you turn to your other neighbor and tell them, blind faith. Come on. Good. Come on. There we go. Now are we talking. Now are we talking. <coughs> Let's read the scripture, and then I'll pray, and then it'll make sense a little bit as we go this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52 says this. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we gather here in church and we have our hearts swelled with faith as we sing great anthems of praise to you, as we witness people making bold decisions to get baptized, as we, hear, we welcome in families who say we, we want to put our roots down in this community and make it home, I thank you now, Father, as we come before your word, would you lift burdens in this place? Would you lift shame? Would you lift eyes? Would you lift horizons so that we can see what you can see? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
very simply this morning. Uh, this is a bit, a bit of a robust season, I believe. God is trying to bring strength to us as a people. Uh, because actually, uh, for me, I really ask you, when, even when I said, say, turn to your neighbor and say this, you can think maybe that's gimmicky or that's some charismatic way of doing preaching. No, no, no. Actually, when we preach the Word of God, uh, we are participating together in what God is doing. I'm, I'm, I have long since died to the, 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 the ability that I'm here to try and entertain people. I, I, if that's the highest desire is to be entertained, you're at the wrong church. Because actually for us, the Word of God is supposed to be partnered with together. That as the Word of God is preached, faith should arise in our hearts. But also the incredible, the Bible tells us in Romans, says that when the Word of God is preached, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. But in Hebrews, it tells us that the, 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 the Israelites could not receive the Word of God because they did not mix it with faith. So I love these two, these two contrasting images. It says that basically you cannot have faith unless the Word of God comes to you. But then Hebrews tells us that actually you cannot respond to the Word of God unless you have faith. Chicken and egg, which one comes first? I don't know. But what I love about it is it just invites us into a partnership with the Word of God. The Bible says this. It says that with God, nothing is impossible. Luke chapter 1. With God, nothing is impossible. Many people will be happy to say nothing is impossible for God. And we love to say that for God because that means we can be a spectator and sit and just watch. But God says nothing's impossible with me because he invites us into partnership. Yes, nothing's impossible for God, of course, but he invites us into partnership. So this morning, I'm asking, can you lean in with faith? Because I believe you're, you, God will meet you at your point of faith this morning. And I'm praying your faith will be strengthened and encouraged. So three things this morning. I want to help us understand a concept called blind faith. Now, it's a phrase that is often used almost as an indictment sometimes. It's like blind faith. It's like, come on, that's almost something so silly. Karl Marx, the great sociologist uh, of, of the modern era, uh, he, he, said, he said this incredible phrase. He said that Christianity and religion is the opiate of the masses. A fancier way of saying it's a, it's a drug that dumbs them down to the realities of life. So he was like, it's a crutch. Religion's a crutch. You know, you can just, you can have it. And you know, it's, 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 though the facts say one thing, religion's there just to help dumb down their struggle. That's what Karl Marx says. I, I, I agree with him at some level when he says it's the opiate. Opiate meaning a drug. I just say that it's not a drug that dumbs us down. I believe it's a drug that heightens us to the reality that is really there. What I'm trying to say here is that this, that actually blind faith, often we talked about blind faith being something of a negative. I want to say today that I believe blind faith is something that is a positive when we start to understand what God is doing with it. So lean in, we're going somewhere. <coughs> Three ingredients to understanding what blind faith is, and I pray that you would take these in and God will do something. As we read the story in Mark 10 and then and, and, and look over it with Deuteronomy chapter 1 at the same time, I want to call us to something of desperation. Number one, desperation. Please say that with me, desperation. In Mark chapter 10, we meet a man named Blind Bartimaeus. That, that text there did tell us in, the, in brackets that Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. That word Bar is son of. So in the scripture, you'll have Barabbas, son of Abbas. You'll have Bartholomew, son of Tholomew. That's how the names are put together. So Bartimaeus is son of Timaeus. What's actually even more amazing is that name Timaeus means uncleanness. 
So we meet a man named Bartimaeus, who's son of uncleanness. What's even more phenomenal is in the scripture, uh, we found out that this man is actually, he's, got, he's, he's been not just called son of Timaeus, Bar Bartimaeus, he's called blind Bartimaeus. He's become known, he's become like a celebrity in the, in, the, in, the, in the area. People know of that beggar on that corner. He's got that corner down. People know that if you go past that area, for generations they've probably seen kids will grow up and they'll know old blind Bartimaeus, he's got that corner. He begs on that corner. He's become known as that guy, blind Bartimaeus. What is so phenomenal about this when I read this, I realize that we've, I find, we find a guy, as we start reading this text, we find a guy whose very name, his very identity has been defined by his circumstances. His very identity has been defined by his circumstances, blind Bartimaeus. He is named by his deficit. He is named by where he falls short. He is named by where he does not measure up. Blind, son of uncleanness. And we find this man, blind Bartimaeus, he's stuck on the side of the road with life passing him by. Uh, I can imagine he's been there for summers and winters and summers and winters, different seasons have come and gone, and he's taken up his position every day on the side there, calling out for almsgiving, shaking the cup, going, please, please, come on, come on, any, any spare change, any spare change, any spare change, any spare change, please. And people will come and put the money in, and, and he'll, whether it be a good day or a bad day with the money, he'll go home, and, and he'll wait, uh, wait for the next morning and be the same place again. This was a man whose routine was established by his identity, which was established by his circumstances, blind by Bartimaeus, who was sitting on the same corner for again and again and again as life just kept passing him by. You see, there's something that's phenomenal here. As we look back, there's the Israelite nation who for 40 years stand on the edge of the inheritance. For 40 years, they stand on the edge of future. For 40 years, they stand on the edge of breakthrough but they never go in. For 40 years, they have the same routine day in and day out of, of, of God supplying them in the wilderness, God giving them manna, food to eat, God leading them by the cloud by day, the fire by night, God supplying their needs in the wilderness. But God saying, actually, for 40 years, you've been experiencing my hand, but I've got a whole promised land for you. I want to show you the full extent of my provision, but you've become satisfied with the little. And I, I want to say this strongly, that actually I think the, the curse of, of the modern church is a church that is so easily satisfied. Only three people thought that was true. <laughs> Content with where we are. We said it last week, but I want to say it again. That's more important what you are saved into than what you're saved out of. It's more important what you saved into than what you saved out of. You see, often uh, the most exciting thing about us was the sin that Jesus saved us from. We tell people, you don't know how, what, how bad I used to be. Can I tell you, Jesus' saving work was to take you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of your addiction, out of your abuse, but then to take you into freedom and into purpose, into joy, into the more he's got for you. But too many Christians get stuck being saved from, and that's enough for me. I can now tick Christian on the census and I'm okay because we're too easily satisfied. <coughs> As we read that text, I love the fact that it says that there was a large crowd following Jesus, a large crowd, but there was a large crowd around him, but only one man stopped him, and he was a blind man. A blind son of uncleanness got the attention of Jesus. 
You see, what is so huge in this moment, I don't know if you noticed it, it says that as he heard that Jesus was coming by, he started to shout. And he says, as I read it, it says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in my Bible, and I'm pretty sure in yours as well, there's something called an exclamation mark after the end of that statement. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, exclamation mark. And when you see a phrase, this is deep English studies. Are you guys ready for it? When you see a phrase with an exclamation mark at the end of it, and a word he shouted preceding it, the way you read it is not nice. And You know, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus was walking by, was undignified, was desperate, and he started to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Start reading the Bible correctly, please. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That exclamation point is important. There's a sense of desperation in this text. Not some religious observance, not some like this moralistic applying the script. No, no, I'm just going to just, this is how I'm supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to behave. No, there's a desperation at the root of this text that has to get deep into our hearts. And I pray, I fight this for my own heart because there's something that, uh, that can get into our spirits, I think, and in my heart too, too quickly that I get so easily satisfied with where I am. One, one theologian, one, one writer, he calls this thing, he said, we need to be filled with a sense of a holy discontent, a holy frustration. Live with a holy frustration. Yes, satisfied in Jesus, but always a phrase I love to say, that I'm grateful but I'm not fully satisfied yet. I'm grateful for what you've done, but God, I know there's more. You see, here's my thing uh, that I love to say to, to us in our suburban version of Christianity here in South Africa. Often, if God can't move you or if God is not stirring your heart, I want to say you're probably more blind than you first thought. In this text... I'd like to suggest that maybe blind Bartimaeus wasn't the truly blind one. A large crowd followed Jesus, but did not apprehend him in desperation. I remember, I remember praying in things, statements where I was going, you know, like, and, and this is not a, a statement, theological statement in the slightest, but, but in the sense of, you know, we, I, don't want, I don't do emotions in church. I don't, no, I don't, don't, God, don't, if it's God, God will have to stir me up. And, and yeah, maybe that's true, but, but I think that's, an, that's, a, that's, if you're saying statements like that, it shows me the temperature of your soul. <coughs> we said it last week, but are you a thermometer or a thermostat? A thermometer measures the temperature. When things are bad, when things are tough, when finances are tight, we're going to approach God in this light. But a thermostat sets the temperature. That no matter what is going on circumstantially, I'm responding with a desperation in my heart every time. I've been praying for us as a church that circumstantial faith would die. I have been so encouraged by Life Changes Milnerton, the stories of faith in this church, of, of healings, of salvations, of baptisms, of God, people responding when it's not convenient, when it's not comfortable, when, with, with not cautious faith, but radical abandon, taking the plunge faith. I love those stories. And what I also love even more are the stories of faith in this community where God hasn't healed, and yet the people still worship. 
where God hasn't provided work yet, and the people still declare God is faithful. I love that about our church, because it shows me that we're not a circumstantially based faith, that we are faith that has seen Him and respond to Him, depending on what He has done, not how we feel. But is there a sense of desperation in your heart? You see, the Bible says, the hungry shall be filled. The hungry shall be filled. I love, that's an invitation from Jesus to you and I. Are you hungry for him? Can I say too often I think I'm like, yeah, sort of. If I'm honest. My own soul gets so easily satisfied with lesser pleasures, lesser pursuits, lesser desires, that actually I see Jesus and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I love him. But I don't know if there's a desperation in my heart for him. You see, I've told the story again and again of a man named Billy Graham, one of the great modern preachers of the last century. Billy Graham, when he was a young teenager, as, and, as, and his friends, they gathered for all-night prayer meetings. And as they gathered for all-night prayer meetings in the, in the grass, in the wet grass on top of a hill, they prayed for the nations. They prayed for people to be saved. And they had no ministry. They had no opportunities. They had no pulpits to preach from. All they could do was pray. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Anne Graham, his wife, she said that years later, she said, they said, when did you first fall in love with Billy? She said, I fell in love with him when I saw him praying. And they said, what do you mean? They said, when I saw him praying, I realized that he had a great sense of destiny about him. Why? Because they said, when the well, first time we went to pray with Billy Graham on the top of that grassy hill and in the wet grass in the late hours of the night, said, we were praying. But after a while, Billy disappeared. And they said, he actually hadn't disappeared, but he just fallen flat on his face. And he would not leave as he pounded the dirt and the grass, as he pounded it again and again, saying, God, do something great with my life. God, do something great. And as I read that, as I read that story, I'm going, God, do something great with my life. God, do something great with my life. Grab a hold of me and don't let go. You see, I've said it last week, but we are a barbarian people. We are a barbarian people. What does that mean? That actually, if you're here, I want to take the category, you know, we often will say uh, there's Muslims, there's, there's Hindus, and there's Christians. Can I tell you, Christians don't go to heaven. Jesus followers do. In our world, we love to make these little things, and we have a Christian faith where it's, I go to church, so I'm okay. No, no, are you desperate for Jesus? We've got to get our hearts in, in, in line with this thing, and actually, we are barbarian people. I have been, and this is my own heart, and maybe there's lack of wisdom in this, and probably, and maybe one day I'll, uh, my wife will give me a smack about this, but I've been, I've been ill the last three days. And, uh, and at, at every occasion, and like last night, just sweating, sweating, sweating in bed and up vomiting at three in the morning. And this is not to, for any reason, but for my own heart, for my own heart, I've been, I was at, at every level, three in the morning, I said, you know what, let me phone someone tell them I'm not going to be at church tomorrow. Then I found courage. And I, started, I said, God, no, I want to go because I feel this is an important season. At four o'clock in the morning, I, let me phone someone. And I, I just remembered, the only phrase I could remember was saying, I'm a barbarian. I'm a barbarian. This is what we do. And actually, I'm not here because there's some religious duty. I'm here because I'm fighting for our souls, for my soul, saying, Jesus, I want more for you. I want more of you. I want more for my life. And I'm not going to be dissuaded and distracted by comfort or convenience. I'm going after you, Jesus. And I feel this is the season we're in. And so this is a little bit all over the place. This is a little bit more prophetic ramblings. But I really believe that I pray that your hearts would be apprehended by the love of your soul this morning. And a desperation would get in. You see, a blind faith, you'll know what blind faith looks like. 
It's when somebody all of a sudden gets that diagnosis from a doctor and, you, and, and there's a situation that's impossible before them. Their prayers start to change. Have you ever seen that before? Somebody who is praying just with some sophistication and praying really polite and neat prayers, suddenly their kid is in hospital and they need a divine intervention. Watch a, a parent start to pray in a desperate sense. I say, why do we wait for those moments? We are called to be a desperate people who live in desperation. That was blind faith. Uh, a while ago, my little daughter, about a year and a bit ago, we very wisely gave her some um, uh, peanut butter, a peanut butter ball just before she went for a nap. And uh, halfway th- after she had it and about uh, 20 minutes into nap, we heard this, the sound of choking. And all of a sudden we ran in and, and my, our daughter had gone blue because the peanut butter got stuck in her throat. And, uh, and Fiona, when she gets panicky, she just starts laughing. It's, just, it's awkward. It's like she doesn't know what to do. She's like just laughing and crying, like, what do we do? And, uh, and, I, and I remember that, mo- that moment as we were trying to loosen the, the stuff from her throat. The prayers that I was praying were not sophisticated prayers. They were not well-thought-out prayers. They weren't prayers. They were, they were prayers that were apprehending God. And I'm saying, God, I want that in my soul. I want to live like that not just waiting for moments of tra- near tragedy to lay a hold of you, but actually my life is supposed to be living on the edge and God, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. <coughs> Desperation. Number two this morning is expectation. These are just ingredients to blind faith. We say it again from last week. Faith honors God and God honors faith. If you want to know how to have a relationship with God, faith honors God and God honors faith. Let's not make it more complicated. In the book of Luke, it says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? He's looking for faith. He does not respond to our needs. He responds to our faith. He responds to our faith. Hebrews 11 says it this way, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is, at the very crux of it, a call to blind faith. Because it's based on stuff you do not see. I love this as we read this text. It says that as, as he started to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They, and they, they, they t- they're trying to dissuade him, quiet, quiet, quiet. But after a while, Jesus says, no, no, bring him to me. And they say, cheer up, blind man. I just love it. Cheer up, blind man. He's called you to him. And it says, blind Bartimaeus, he leaps up. He throws off his coat. Throws off the, 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 the trappings that, are, oh, that is part of his begging routine. He throws it off and runs to Jesus. I can, in my head, I can see this, 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 young, this, this guy, not a young guy, but a, I can see this guy with the expectation. He can't see physically, but he's running to Jesus, throwing off his coat and coming with expectation that something's going to change. I love it. When he, with the throwing off of the coat, saying, I'm not going back. I love in that moment as blind Bartimaeus stood up and ran to Jesus, leaving his coat behind. I think in his heart he knew, I'm never going to go back to that again. Because he never did. From that moment, as we read the end of it, it says that he got his sight, and from that moment he followed Jesus. He never returned to his corner. He never returned to his coat. He never returned to his begging routine. As far as we know, from that moment, blind Bartimaeus was now, and awkwardly, they had to find a new name for him. Blind, uh, blind oh, what do we call you now? The artist formerly known as Blind Bartimaeus. You see the Israelites, they go in, 12 spies, 10 with negative reports. 
Because 10 of them went and the 10 of them saw the giants. But I want to suggest that only two of them truly saw what God was doing. Expectation is huge. <coughs> I just want to ask you right now, when you see, when you hear people who are sick, we've got to retrain our eyes. We've got to retrain what we see. We've got to retrain what we see because the enemy, the enemy is large. The enemy wants to get in the way of our vision. But we are people who have to see with blind faith past what the enemy is doing and see what God is doing. You see, when, when I hear somebody, they say, I'm sick. I've, I, it's, a, it's a problem. I've got to get better at it for pastoral sense. But when people tell me I'm sick but I've come for prayer, I usually respond, yes. And they're like, don't celebrate my sickness. I'm like, I'm not. I apologize. I'm not. But why? Because when someone's sick, we start to retrain with expectation. I, you say sickness, but I, I see opportunity for healing. People, we've said it again and again, but life changes Milton. When we planted the church here, we were told that life change, that, that Milton area is a grave, this, this suburb is a graveyard for churches. Churches come in, and churches either leave or die. They don't stay in this area. And at that report, we were like, there's giants in the land. But the land is also flowing with milk and honey. And you, you, raise me, you raise me a graveyard, I raise you a great opportunity for resurrection life. Because where there's death, that means Jesus can bring life. Wonderful. Thank you. I don't have to go very far to find dead things then. You see, when we start to understand, you start saying there's recession, I say, great, there's a great opportunity for people to make see God's provision in miraculous ways. This is who we are. We are barbarian people who turn our faith into expectation. Blind faith doesn't just respond, it expects what God is doing. A desperation. Secondly, expectation. Thirdly, for time's sake this morning, revelation. And, and what I mean by this revelation is just a fancy word, a scriptural word saying where, where, where we have our eyes start to the scales for our eyes fall off and we see God for who He is. And there's something I, I would, and again, I, I don't have time to do it justice this morning, but there has to be a greater sense of the fear of the Lord needs to settle in our hearts. Maybe you, you're new to church and you don't know what that means, fear of the Lord. <coughs> I want to say that the Bible tells us that actually perfect love casts out all fear, but there is one fear that we're supposed to have. One fear. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean now, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean we are cowering from Him, nervous of Him, but the fear of the Lord means that actually we obey Him above every other voice. You see, there's the problem I think our lives and our faiths are held captive by people's opinions of us because we have a fear of man above the fear of the Lord. You see, in the story, this guy says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what do the crowd say? Shut up. Stay in your place. And the, the scripture goes and says, he heard them, but he cried out louder still. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And again, they try to dissuade him. Quiet, quiet, quiet. But I thank God for that man in that story, that blind Bartimaeus, he heard Jesus was walking by. And actually his fear of, of the people's opinion of him was much less than the fear of missing out of what Jesus was going to have do in his life. What we fear is what we're subject to. 
When we have the fear of the Lord, it replaces all lesser fears. The fear of failure, of future, of being found out, of man's opinion, rejection, insignificance. They all take a back seat when we allow the fear of the Lord to settle in our hearts. You see, this is an amazing thing with baptism today. This, it seems so simple and almost what is going on, in the water out. The scriptures tell us that actually that we died with Christ in the waters of baptism. And when we came out, we came alive to him and it represents his, his death and his resurrection on the cross. So as Christ followers, here's the most amazing thing. As people who say, Jesus is my king, you have died to yourself. So we, have, we, don't, we are already dead. We don't need to fear death. Because we've already died. How wonderful is that? We become the most free people. Because the greatest enemy still, death, has been overcome. And yeah, if you want to know, often, here's just a freebie for you this morning. If you're saying, God, I want more revelation, here's the key to more revelation. Obey what you already know. Obey what God has already revealed to you. People, I think people are going, God, I want deep revelation. I want, I want deep inside of who you are. But if you are not able to come and, and be obedient with the, with the surface level stuff, why would God trust you with deeper things? God trusts revelation to people who obey it. You know, there's a story of uh, uh, and one of the, and the, I know Christ, Christianity is littered with these stories, but in the 80s there was a prosperity preacher in America who um, who just his ministry went through the roof, a TV evangelist. But then at the height of it, he got caught out with financial shenanigans and, uh, and, and inappropriate, inappropriate relationships with, with women. And because of some of those things, they got to such a level where he was actually thrown in prison. This TV preacher at the height, he was this, this prince of preachers on television and kept, uh, captivated the, the, the nation. Now he's in prison. And the amazing, there was an interview <coughs> done with him where they went into the prison and they said to him, Tell us, what, what happened? Like, how do you go preaching all these things, but all along you've been, you've been doing this hypocritical things in the background and just been covering over sin. You've been covering over things that are not supposed to be happening. You, what, what is happening there? When did you stop loving Jesus? And he said, loving Jesus? No, oh no, I never stopped loving Jesus. He said, fearing him, I stopped a while ago. And when I heard that, I realized, wow, I think we've, we sell ourselves weak revelation of who God is. We settle for too little. There's not a desperation in our heart for the, for show me your glory, God. We get sold a therapeutic gospel that tells us that you're okay where you're at. I want to tell you that God says that he saves you from where you are and he wants to take you where he wants you to be. He doesn't save you to leave you where you are. He wants to call you into the more. But a sense of desperation has to fill our hearts. A sense of expectation that, yes, God wants to do this in my life. And a sense of, God, give me revelation of who you are. That is what will stir you on forward into blind faith to trust for impossible things. I love this story. It lands with this amazing thing. Well, in the book of Proverbs, very quickly, it says this. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A different translation says this way. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of true sight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of true sight. You want to see clearly? 
You feel blind. You feel, I don't know where I'm going in my life. I don't, I feel like I'm blind. I, I'm trying to work out how to, my, my kid's future. I'm trying to work out our finances. I'm trying to work out my purpose in life. I'm trying to work my way through this addiction of how, of how I get through this depression. If you're feeling a little bit blind and you're trying to make your way in the future, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true sight. And I love how the story ends. Jesus calls him. He throws off his coat. Blind Bart gets there. says, yes, I'm here. And Jesus asks him this profound question. He's a blind guy who's been blind and been sitting on that corner for so long. And he's standing there in front of Jesus. He's been crying out, Jesus, son of David, causing a scene. He, he's the only one who grabs hold of Jesus' attention at that moment. Jesus said, bring him here. And then Jesus says to him, what do you want? I love it. I love it. Jesus is, is someone, he's not now, he, he, he never plays to what we expect of people. Jesus says, I'm going to meet you not at your point of need, I'm going to meet you at your point of faith. Point of need, I'm going to give you some bucks. Point of need is I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to set you up with somebody who's going to help you, with, with your, get you a job, and we're going to get you looking a bit smarter, and I'm going to make your blindness a little bit more comfortable. But he says, no, I'm not going to meet you at your point of need. I'm going to meet you at your point of faith. What do you want? And blind Bart, in a sense of desperation, expectation, revelation of who Jesus, son of David, the Messiah, the Messiah, I know who you are. I can't see physically, but my soul is leaping because I know everyone else here still doesn't know who you are. But I know you're the son of David. You're the living God. You're that one. He says, I want to see. Ah, I love it. I love the word of God. In that moment, Jesus says, the sight is restored to you. His eyes open, and from that moment, he followed Jesus. <coughs> I land with this at this time. In that Mark chapter 10, there's two stories. Once that's the, that book end, that chapter. Chapter 10 ends with blind Bartimaeus. It begins with a young guy called the rich young ruler. Phenomenal. I love the author Mark. He plays these against each other. There's just such wisdom in this literature. It ends with a guy who's named by a circumstance, blind Bartimaeus, blind son of uncleanness, who finds a sight. It starts off with rich young ruler, not named. Doesn't even get his name in it. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus in sophistication and says, Jesus, I've done all your commandments. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, go sell everything to the poor, then come follow me. And he says, the rich young ruler couldn't do that. He couldn't do that, so I said he went away sad. I, I read this and I go, which one am I? And actually, if we're honest, which one was more blind? A rich young ruler who had no sense of desperation, who had only arrogance, who came on his own terms to Jesus, had no sense of revelation of who Jesus was. He called call him teacher held him at arm's length, or blind Bartimaeus who cried out and was told, stop it, stop it. No, Jesus! Had his sight restored. Who was more blind in that moment? So I want to land by asking this question. What, what do you see? What do I see? Well, I'll tell you what I see. I see a city of broken, hurting, dying people. If you want to know why we planted Life Change Milton was not because that we would have great services, that we would be able to baptize people. I want to tell you, Jess, I'm proud of you. Hey? So proud of you. Got to baptize Kevin in the, in the sea, much colder than this, uh, earlier this year. Death to life, man. 
just the beginning. This is why we do this, man. This is why we do this. Uh, she's gone, there, Tavia. They're at the back. Incredibly proud of you. Last week, I know, wrestling, wrestling. Should I do it? Actually, I'm ready. Let's do this. Well done, Brad. So proud of you, man. This is who we are. We are people who, this is why we do it, because actually this city needs not more religion. It doesn't need another church that's going to tell people, clean up your mess. It needs another group of people, barbarians, who point to Jesus with blind faith. Not based on what they see, but based on what he sees. So you want to know what I see? I see a city of broken, hurting, dying people. But I see right now this morning, I see a church full of desperate, expectant people. Barbarians with blind faith. Maybe you've never been called that. I want to tell you, start calling yourself, I am a barbarian. Why don't you say it with me? I'm a barbarian. Even with yourself yawning there, JP. Say it, man. Come on. Huh? Saw that yawn, eh? So as we land, I want to pray for us. But where have you lost sight of God in your story? Where have you lost sight of God? Maybe you've, you've even, in, in your, even in your stressing about a job, even in your stressing about relationships, even in your, in your addiction, in addictive spaces, you're trying to wrestle pain and brokenness, even maybe in, in, in health challenges, you've lost sight of God. God can heal those people, but not me. I pray that a sense of desperation would start to stir in your heart again to lay hold of him. An expectation that actually expects him to move on your behalf. And a revelation, God, show me your glory. With those three ingredients, I promise you will be people of blind faith. You'll start to see the impossible start to happen again and again and again through our lives. Why don't we stand to our feet, please? This morning, I even wanted to say, if you are here today and you have not been baptized, and you say, oh, I didn't bring any clothes for it, good news, you're a barbarian, you don't need clothes for that, <laughs> clothes dry. If you have not been baptized, straight off the meeting, come and get baptized. If you want greater revelation, obey what you know already. If you haven't been baptized, come, the pool is still here, it's still warm. Okay, I've still got the clipboard. He's ready to go. <laughs> but I want to say, in, your, in our hearts this morning, we're going to land now, and I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray for God to stir a desperation in our heart for Him. Not for religion, for Him. Can I tell you, offense, a, 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 a sinful desires, broken past, they all start to be dealt with radically when we get an obsession with Jesus. The things that would take years to walk through can be dealt with in a moment when we see him. So why don't you close your eyes with me? Father, as we close our eyes, I pray as Paul does in the book of Ephesians, may the eyes of our hearts be opened. May the eyes of our hearts be opened right now to know you, Jesus, to know the, the incredible plans you have for us. I thank you, Jesus, right now. You're stirring faith in this room. Faith comes by the word of God hearing it, and our responding to it. So I thank you, Father God, would faith rise up in your sons and daughters, that you are, you are rebranding us barbarians, you're rebranding us wild people who are a blind faith, who don't need all the facts to line up, who don't need all the circumstances to be in our favor to trust you. I pray for a desperation in your people. I pray for an expectation in your people. And I pray for a revelation of you, of the fear of the Lord, to grip our hearts afresh. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us, you're for us. 
and that we would respond to you this morning. I thank you, Father God, that we would not be a people who stand on the edge of our potential, the edge of breakthrough, the edge of the supernatural, the edge of the more of God, but never walk into it. Today, we take off our coat. We take off that coat. We leave it there. And as we come to you, Jesus, and you say, what do you want? I pray that we'll be able to speak with faith what we ask of you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for this. In your precious name, amen.